0: Hello and welcome to Live from Studio 9 podcast series produced by the Department of Culture and Tourism, Abu Dhabi. This series is hosted by in-house experts exploring a wide range of topics related to heritage, libraries, tourism and everything in between. The conversations also provide listeners with a behind-the-scenes look at the department's
1: projects and share with them life lessons from guest speakers. Hi, Bell. Thank you for being here with us at the Department of Culture and Tourism and for being with us here in Abu Dhabi today. It was a great talk that you just gave us on leadership in the age of disruption. I have a few questions that I would like to unpack with you. I want to start with talking about leadership. I'm just looking through LinkedIn And there's almost this visual cacophony of material, uh, the five best attributes of a leader, how to become a successful leader. And it goes on forever and ever. And they all lead, one leads to the other. And For the common manager or let's say employee or team member or even leader, there's always the sense that I'm striving to become this leader that's in that article. Um, I do have this trait, maybe not so much of this attribute. And there's this always pursuit of when do I call myself the self-proclaimed leader? Can we just demystify this a little bit? What is a leader really? So that's
0: a great way to get this conversation started. And let's begin by saying when I talk about leadership, I think when you talk about leadership, we're not really talking about just a CEO who's got thousands of people reporting to him or her. We're talking about someone running a department, we're talking about someone with five people on a team. And I do think the logic of leadership, it's on a different scale, but it's it's kind of consistent whether you're managing five people or 5,000 people. And I appreciate the, the idea of demystifying it because I do think we make it more complicated than it really is. So I guess if you were a leader, let's say in a small setting, managing five or 10 or 15 people, if you look in the mirror and you say, am I seeing reflected back to me a leader? I think you do want to ask yourself a few things. Number one, what ideas do I stand for? When people come to work and recognize that I'm their leader or their Manager, are they clear about? Have I done a great job explaining to them this is what we're trying to achieve together? This is the difference we're trying to make. This is the project we're going to be working on that is going to really change the game, maybe in some modest way, maybe in some big way. But I think the best leaders I have gotten to know don't think about leadership in the abstract. They think first and foremost about leadership in terms of What am I trying to achieve? What do I want my impact and legacy to be? And again, let's not make it too fancy. I don't mean changing the world. I mean, just say, okay, so the first question you ask is, what ideas do I stand for and do my colleagues understand what I'm trying to achieve? The second question is, am I creating the conditions under which people are able to do their best work every single day? You know, Peter Drucker, the famous management thinker, once said that organizations exist to help great people do mediocre work. And I really think there's a lot of truth in that kind of funny but painful statement. And the really great leaders I have gotten to know over the years understand that day in and day out, it's important how they are helping their colleagues work as distinctively as they hope to compete and are am I creating the conditions where people feel engaged, energized, empowered to do their best work every single day? And then the third question you have to ask as a leader is, am I learning personally, am I learning as fast as the world is changing? A big part of being a leader is being staying relevant. You get promoted to a position because of stuff you've achieved in the past. You then understand to make a difference going forward, maybe some of that stuff will help, but- so much of continuing to be relevant is, is personally keep growing more, to make sure that everything you know doesn't limit what you can imagine going forward. And so great leaders are clear about what they're trying to do and what they stand for, help the people around them do their best work every day. And great leaders push themselves to keep learning as fast as the world is changing. And by the way, they come in all shapes and sizes. Some are very charismatic and extroverted. Some are very quiet. It's, it's not about a style of personality. It's about an approach to having an impact and making a difference.
1: Thank you. That's a relief. So basically, <laughs> a leader can be anyone who can look in the mirror and be proud of what they're accomplishing yep. with the teams around them and with their vision, which gets me to the next point. Again, if you look at all of this material out there, there's this new popular theme that's emerging called thought leadership. So can you tell us a little bit about What is thought leadership? To me is number one
0: about having something interesting to say. Your colleagues, they're just overwhelmed by information. A lot of what people are just trying to do is make sense of their company, make sense of their industry, make sense of the competitive environment to have a clear line of sight into the future and to understand where we're going, what we're trying to achieve, what are we excited about, what are we worried about. And so I think leaders as thought leaders have something interesting to say that helps people make sense of a very confusing, very uncertain world. So that's number one. Another part of a thought leader is if you're going to be interesting, you also have to stay interested. The the best leaders I know are the most insatiable learners. And so if you want to be a thought leader, then you've got to have thoughts worth reckoning with. And part of that is keep pushing yourself to grow and change and evolve and Put yourself in new situations, invite in new voices into the conversation. I think that's the third part of being a thought leadership is understanding that this is not about you as a leader doing all the thinking, solving all the problems on your own. This is you as a leader creating the conditions under which lots of smart people get to think together. The, the leaders that are most effective in having interesting things to say are the ones who are inviting new voices into the conversation. Understanding, by the way, that people who contribute ideas to whatever they're working on don't necessarily have to be their direct reports. People don't have to work for you in order to work with you. Be interesting, stay interested, give lots of people from lots of different walks of life an opportunity to think alongside it with you and then lo and behold you'll look in the mirror and see a thought leader looking back at you.
1: But I want to tone it down to a more human yes. and basic level. It's sometimes scary to think how can I find more ways to be interesting and sometimes when you have an idea in its simplest form you're thinking is it really an impressive idea? Should I take it to the leader on top of me? What should give us this courage to move forward and say, you know, I have an idea. Let's put it out there and see what happens.
0: I'd say a a couple things. It's a both very exciting and very scary time to be doing anything and certainly to be to being a leader. To me, big piece of leadership is a kind of mindset flip. And you want to flip this mindset both for your colleagues, but also for yourself, that we are now in a world where the risk of trying something new is actually much less than the risk of desperately clinging to what's worked in the past. And so one way to get more confidence about proposing a new idea is to create a shared mindset among your colleagues. Okay, here's how we do things. Continuing to do things the way you've always done them is almost a guarantee for failure and probably failure sooner rather than later. So we are now in a world where playing it safe, quote unquote, is probably the riskiest thing you can do. Having articulating new ideas, being excited about an innovation should no longer be thought of as a risky bet or a risky thing to do, it should be thought of as the normal course of affairs, not having a better idea, not challenging the way you've evaluated a product or or done a uh, performance review or thought about projects, you know, doing it the same way for the last years. That's when you should start getting Mm -hmm. nervous because the sense is the world is going to pass you by kind of deal. And so it is kind of a mindset flip. um, And that becomes a permission slip to Say lots of things. Also, if you've got an idea, start small. Don't ask for a lot of money. Don't ask for a lot of people. Experiment. Prototype. Don't make promises you can't keep, but start small. Understand you'll probably stumble, learn and grow and so on. But that's where big successes come from.
1: I think that's a a great answer for me because it sounds like a reframing exercise. It's just an exercise of reframing the way you look. These things, and then they don't look scary anymore. Um, I have a question about um, women in leadership and a bit of uh, leadership in a a different cultural context. So, I'm a woman myself. I work in the culture sector for the Department of Culture and Tourism. Where do I fit in the scene? How do I belong?
0: So, the future of leadership is all about what you can unleash, as opposed to what you can control. And I do think. Male leaders who come from a position of both cultural and economic and political privilege in the U.S. and I presume in Abu Dhabi are kind of in a mindset of controlling resources because they're the ones who are in charge, whereas women are the ones that are kind of emerging. And so they're in charge of unleashing, unleashing in themselves, unleashing in their colleagues. And I, again... It's, it's hard to generalize about generations. It's hard to generalize across the sexes. But what I do find many of the women leaders, particularly by the way, emerging leaders are so much more willing to look for and ask for help outside themselves. So much more willing to say, I have a good sense of where we want to go, but I don't feel the need to prescribe exactly how we Get there. They really are in the unleashing business as opposed to the controlling business because they themselves are this kind of emerging group who sees the power of that. So I think there's just a more natural inclination. They don't have to pretend that they know more than they do. They are more willing to look wider afield, more peripheral vision and so i i feel like that experience prepares women well for the new logic of leadership but i am very excited about a rising generation of women leaders in the u.s and i'm guessing in, in abu dhabi who have more open-minded more generosity of spirit ibm coined this term many years ago to describe the most effective leaders inside IBM, many of them are women, they said they have a sense of humbition. What's humbition? Humbition is a combination of humility and ambition. So they want to make a difference. They want to have an impact. They want to leave a legacy. But they bring a kind of intellectual and personal humility to how they do it. And I think for a variety of reasons, women bring a kind of humbition, this combination of humility and ambition that just doesn't come quite so naturally to Men. So I'm putting my bet on female leaders in both places. Mm-hmm. To me, it's less about genetics or, or DNA or anything. It's about where women leaders are coming from up the pipeline, yes. the experience they've had yes. versus male leaders. And I think women are hungrier. They've had to fight for their positions yes. more. They've had to do more with less.
1: Last uh, question How do you become good at what you do? How can we get better at those other skills?
0: I would say a couple things. First of all, in business settings, we've professionalized so much of how we present, in particular through the use of PowerPoint. I feel like it immediately, it makes it more difficult for me to connect with the audience because everybody's looking at the slides. That means I can't look at them. What I try to do is to win over my audiences by Trying to make as direct a personal connection as I can. In every business thing, there's more data than people could possibly use. What people are are eager for is bringing your ideas to life through stories, vignettes, whatever the case may be. And so, I do. but then it is like literally just making eye contact. And if you see someone smile, smile back. If you see someone nodding, nod back. But I really think there is a performance art to presenting. I think it needs to be more true for just more people in regular business settings where right now most presentations are things to be endured rather than things that people get excited about. They're ways of downloading information rather than recruiting people to your cause. I mean, you're trying to get people on your side. You're trying to persuade people of your point of view. You're trying to rally them to your cause. You do that with emotion. You don't do that with just pure logic. You want people to believe in you personally and not just believe in your ideas. And so I just think you've got to think more carefully about the art of persuasion, not just the science of persuasion. We've all got to think more carefully about the connection between intellectual stuff, emotional stuff, data, storytelling, informing, and persuading. And I think being more thoughtful about that will help make our presentations more interesting.
1: Honestly, Bill, thank you so much. It's been an honor for me to have this conversation and just connect at uh, you know a human level. Thank you Great. so thank much.
0: Thank you. I had loads of fun. Yeah. Thank you so, so much.